Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. And Luca, we have a frustrating game to talk about today as the Bills fall to 3-2 and two with a 25-20 to 20 loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But there are some things outside of what happened on the field as far as the final score goes that I think will be brought up tonight. But I like to start this show off how I normally do and just ask you, how are you doing? Um... I'm exhausted. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a long, long day of football, Josh. Yeah. Uh, I myself, I told you off air before we came on, woke up around 6-ish a.m., had to get the house ready for guests to come over for the Bills game, while then we still had our normal 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock slates of football viewing in my living room. So I am currently running on, what is this here? We are currently at 10 o'clock Eastern. So it's late, and I got an early morning for work tomorrow. So uh, that honestly, I think is the best thing for me right now because it's, it's confiding my emotions or limiting or what I, what's, what's the word I'm thinking of here, suppressing my emotions There you go. because I'm just tired a little bit and, uh, I'm able to not completely overreact to what happened this morning. And luckily we had about seven hours of football plus in between the end of that game. And now, so I'm doing okay. Tired a little bit, long day of football. Um, I know we'll all get over it at the end of the day or at the end of the week, potentially, but, uh, it's an interesting evening that we are sitting here to record Josh. Yeah. Um, I I think we have a lot to get into and we will certainly do that throughout this episode. For those of you who are familiar with Bill's chat, first of all, thank you so much. We appreciate you all choosing to listen to our show and hopefully we, we can help you get through what was a very frustrating day to be a Bill's fan. Um, you know that we record these episodes on Sunday night, oftentimes during Sunday night football. And Luca, as you were mentioning, it was such a long day and not the normal one o'clock slot. I looked over at Sunday night football, the, the Cowboys and 49ers game, and I see an ad for next week's Sunday night game. And it was at that moment that I reminded myself, oh, yeah, the Bills are on Sunday night football next week against the New York <laughs> Giants. That is not the topic of tonight, but it's just like. Another Sunday coming up where we're not in the normal one o'clock time slot, and that will be the new normal for these Bills going forward. So the polar opposite of today, where the Bills had the very first game of the day, they will have the very last game of the day next week. But we have to talk about what happened today, Luca. As we always do kick off these reaction shows, I'm going to kick it over to you. When the final gun went off, 25 to 20, the Jacksonville Jaguars are victorious over our Buffalo Bills. What was going through your mind? Uh, a blank sadness, we'll call it hunger for one, because it was only a bagel eaten in the morning, Josh. And then it was obviously just kind of watching every second of the game. Um, so there was part of my brain that wanted food, but in all reality, it was kind of a tired sadness and just the, the, the traditional feeling of defeat in my mind was kind of what my body was going through is what other individuals in my living room was going through. There was no one that was in an up roar over the loss you know up in arms and just kind of angrily uh feel lashing out about the defeat like you didn't have raw emotions just spilling out of anyone's mouth or just kind of profanities of any kind it was just a kind of what the what the bleep just happened why are we sitting here not about to enjoy the rest of day of football how did we get here? So on and so forth, because I really do believe, and I mean, if you watch the live show on Friday, Josh was not on there, but I was, and I gave my prediction of 41 to 17. Obviously things went very different than what I had expected, but I do believe others thought that 
maybe not 41 17, but maybe more of a comfortable style game could have been what happened uh, this morning. But um, yeah, it was just really an empty feeling, to be honest, with a little bit of sadness and a little bit of hunger after, when those final kneel downs were going on. So it was just one of those things where I needed a second. I will say also, Josh, I was so focused on the Bills game. I was hoping it would be a comfortable one. So by the 11 a.m. time, I could do my normal betting placing mm -hmm. and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, those kneel downs were happening, and I had to quickly get out of my sadness and spend about six minutes between then and 1 p.m. kickoff to get every 1 p.m. bet I could possibly get in. That might have been the best thing for me, I will say. That that really snapped me out of things real quick. It's like, okay, we got we got business to attend here and whatnot. So, um, But overall, yeah, kneel downs happening. It was just a... If I had to give you a picture, if anyone listening here, to give you a picture, it's like a blank stare into a white space of what the F am I doing here? That was kind of the feeling I had at Neil Downs. So I think there's multiple directions we can go with this. The, the on-field product today was, was not good. The, the Bills offense struggled to get out of their own way almost the majority of the game. Now, granted, the final score was 25 to 20, but with four minutes to go in this football game, the Bills had seven points on the scoreboard. And there are reasons for that. We can talk about the fact that they seem to divert away from their under center offense that we've seen be so successful the last three weeks, drawing the praise of guys like Dan Orlovsky and um, Greg Cosell and Chris Sims talking about what a matchup nightmare this Bills offense is when they go under center, applauding Josh Allen for how good he's gotten at play action. And I believe it was Dan Fates from Rochester that said the Bills ran 55 offensive snaps today and 47 of them were out of shotgun. And that was strange. And then when you talk about the defense, you know, they they were they're holding, they're holding. And then late the dam broke. I am not about to put any blame on the defense for reasons we'll get into in a second. Um, but I, to me, the story of this game and, you know, there's going to be folks out there. They're going to want to blame the refs. And I understand that that is not the path I would like to take. I thought the refs in general were way too much in the way today. I thought there were bad calls on both sides. The the Josh Allen. Uh, defensive Josh Allen roughing the passer call on our Josh Allen was atrocious. Uh, he didn't deserve that call, but I thought there were some calls that went against the Bills. Quite honestly, folks, first rant of the night. I thought the broadcast sucked. There was a there was a game changing penalty on Ed Oliver that we'll get into as we go along. Where the, it was illegal hands to the face that kept the Jaguars touchdown drive alive. We never saw a replay of that, so I can't tell you if that was a good call or not. I thought the broadcast was awful. Um, but honestly, Luca. It's one loss. It's it's October 8th. It's week five. And I think you and I talking about this game could have come up with a lot of reasons, one of which is the Jaguars are a pretty good team, but there are a lot of variables that go into these London games that do not make it necessarily the best identifier of who the better team is. In a lot of ways, it's like Thursday night football where there's just so much randomness, particularly when you factor in the travel, the impact of one team being there for 10 days, one team being there for two days. There, there's a lot. There's a lot of variables where I think any rational Bills fan could wrap their head around the fact that the Bills had a realistic chance to lose today. What my head is on, where I think a lot of Bills fans' head is on, is not just the loss. It's not just how poor the offense played. That is game-wise what's bothering me. It's the injuries. Significant injuries to significant players. The Bills came into this game already having lost Tredavious White for the entire season already down Gregory Rousseau, who was ruled out on Friday, already down Christian Benford, who could not get up for this game. We thought he had a chance to go. He was in, labeled inactive uh, an hour and a half before the game started. 
They lost. We don't have the official word on this yet, but at least based on what Ian Rappaport has been tweeting, Matt Milano to a significant leg injury that looks like it very realistically could end his season and Daquan Jones to a pectoral injury. Uh, all we know about that is Sean McDermott said it does not look good. Luca, I can get over an October 8th loss. The Bills are three and two. I very much think they are in this playoff race. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around the superstar level players that the Bills have lost in these last two football games, two of which happened today. Yeah, it's it's funny the way you just finished that point up superstar level players that are kind of getting these massive injuries. We talked about in the offseason, for instance, or even recently how Terrell Bernard in the middle linebacker just needs to be serviceable and do their job mentality because they're be they're surrounded by all of these high end players that are Hyde, Poyer, Milano, Daquan Jones in front of them, so on and so forth. And all of a sudden, all of these guys that are there to support an individual like a Terrell Bernard are dropping like flies. And you are finding yourself in a position where Terrell Bernard, who is still playing well, now needs to actually step up and be more than just a serviceable Mike. He needs to be a guy. And he's showing us that I think the potential is now there. We can have hope in that. But it's not something that you wanted to be in the position of due to what's going on. And the Milano one is just so it's it's brutal. It's you watch Milano go down and and I think you did, you know, hash it out with the broadcast and I think it's justified. Wholeheartedly. Look, Kurt Warner is one of my favorite NFL players to life. He brought a franchise that I was a fan of as a kid. Obviously, not the Bills, but the Cardinals, I am a big fan of as well. He brought them to a Super Bowl, and I never thought that would happen. He was awful today. Like, I could not stand Kurt Warner on the broadcast. Stuff of that nature. What I will say is they made sure they brought up a point once that I thought was valid and, and right. And it's when Milano had left that sideline, there was zero energy. And I think that is something that's important when you have a guy who is a known leader. Rich Eisen actually made sure he actually told the Bills PR team he wanted to talk to Matt Milano after Josh Allen and I forget, maybe it was Gabe Davis, um, who they the Bills provided for Eisen, Rich Eisen. Then he went out of his way as like, I want to talk to Matt Milano. Um, so clearly everyone understands how important he is. And when he leaves... The juice is out when it comes to the defense. There's energy that's just gone, and it took probably a while for them to get around that. But at the same time, it's not like they did anything wrong. But with these injuries stacking up, then you're just seeing the play level on the field. Unfortunately, the bend but don't break defense has more breaks in it, has more faults, it has more cracks. There are things to be had there, and you have moments later on in the game like Travis Etienne just getting around the edge no problem you know, Leonard Floyd, you'd like to make see the tackle, but that is kind of his weakness. And then there's no guy like a Milano to sweep it up, to keep it out of the end zone. Like he seems to do all the time. So the injuries that came up in this game, just it, it, between last week and this week, and it's, it's all on one side of the ball too. Unfortunately, you just need that other side of the ball, the offense to step up and the impact of the injuries. Hopefully you would think would make the offense rise to the occasion. And it wasn't that way, but to keep the focus on the injuries for now, it's it's going to be a tough conversation we have coming up right here to talk about what can we do without the likes of a Milano and a Daquan Jones because 
everyone should know at this point, like just how massive they are to the unit as a whole and what McDermott likes to do and so on and so forth that it's, it's funny. The final note I'll bring up until we keep moving on is like, it was frustrating because you saw a lot of underneath stuff just there and there and there. And at one point, uh, one of my buddies just kind of was like, this is so frustrating. It's just always available for them for a free five, six yards. I'm like, well, you got to remember the McDermott linebacker, the classic thing they do. And sometimes he gets praised for is they're uptight a little bit. As soon as the snap, they go and they fly back 10 yards to cover kind of that deep middle area. But then they still have the athleticism to step back up and make the play, you know, quickly underneath them. All of a sudden, these injuries keep stacking up and that that availability will be there. And the, it's more and more space because it's taking them longer time to get back and understanding the depth needs and things like that, where it's just naturally going to weaken the defense overall. And Milano is the absolute key to that middle space. So it, it, it's going to be a tough thing moving forward to see what happens. But I, I made a if I want to put a, a glowing light on this real quick before I kick it back over. I was like, at least this happened early on where you just have more time to try to figure it out. And you're still in a window to potentially make moves if needed. We will have this conversation, but it's happening now. It's not happening in December where the ability to obtain something is much more limited than where you're at currently in early October. And I think that's where the fork in the road for this conversation. This is where we're at is there's two paths we can take right now. We can focus on what happened on the field, or we can talk about the implication of the injuries that took place. And we're going to do both tonight, but we're going to start this show off talking about the injuries and what the bills should do to overcome them. So if you watch the game, if you didn't watch the game, we will catch you up. The bills lost Matt Milano to what looks like a season ending injury. And I would say we have reason to believe strong reason to believe that Daquan Jones is going to miss some serious time as well. Maybe also the season stay tuned. By the time you're listening to this, you might have official word on that. And you mentioned make moves. So having already lost Tredavious white, having seen firsthand, maybe Kyrie Elam was not ready for prime time today, but understanding Christian Benford should be back. I will tell you, Luca, I am not of the mindset right now that the bills need to make a move. I think, one, they only have $2.5 million in cap space. Now, cap space can always be manipulated, uh, but this isn't a team that can go out there and, and trade for a player that's that's eight figures against the cap, which are usually the players that teams are, are willing to get rid of at this point of the season where we're only five games in. I do think they are still one injury away at cornerback before they need to make a move. Um, just remember, Dane Jackson and Christian Benford are the preferred starters for this team. And as far as depth players go, Dane Jackson is about as chef's kiss as you want. He's a 26-year-old player that has 23 starts in this defense, and he was solid today. I think the Bills are fine at cornerback with Christian Benford and Dane Jackson relative to whatever move they could make, unless you're talking about a pie-in-the-sky move of going out and selling the farm for a Pat Sertain, who Benjamin Albright, who covers the Broncos, has made clear is not available. Now, they keep losing games. Maybe things change. <laughs> um, and then linebacker. No, I'm going to also, I'll go to Daquan Jones first. Daquan Jones. We saw firsthand last season in the playoffs. He's an irreplaceable player. When you have guys like Tim settle and Jordan Phillips, who held up well today, trying to play the one technique that is not what they're suited for. What I will remind all bills fans, Puna Ford is on this roster for a reason. And I know there is a, there's a segment of fans raising their hands saying, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Puna Ford has been inactive every game this season. How important can he be? I will just tell you, and I understand that Vickers was active over him today. Puna Ford, his role on this team is backup nose tackle. 
you normally in a game do not need a backup nose tackle on your roster. You figure you lose your nose tackle, your other defensive tackles can get you out of the game. But as far as what the Bills are trying to build from a depth standpoint, defensive tackle, teams usually prefer the Tim Settles and the Jordan Phillips, who can also add pass rush and aren't just space eaters. That's why Puna Ford has been inactive on game days. It's not because he's not an effective player, but it's a smaller role in the pass heavy NFL that we live in currently. So this is where I think Puna Ford's value is very much going to come into play. Is he Daquan Jones? I don't think so. I doubt it. Daquan Jones has been playing at a very high level, but I do think as far as nose tackles go, Puna Ford is going to at least be able to steady the ship and be a reliable nose tackle to allow Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle to continue to be rotational pieces and not focus on something that they are not historically good at. The Matt Milano conversation is a little bit tricky because I hear people saying the Bills need to go out and trade for a linebacker. There's two problems with that, in my opinion. One, I don't care if you make a trade. I don't care if you go to free agency. I don't care what you do. You're not going to find a Matt Milano replacement out there. Unless the Niners are willing to give you Fred Warner, you're not getting a Matt (laughs) Milano replacement. So get that idea out of your head. That is not within the realistic range of outcomes for these Buffalo Bills. The good news What is within the realistic range of outcomes for these Buffalo Bills, if you can erase the idea of replacing Matt Milano, is there is still a chance and maybe a very good chance that their third round rookie, Dorian Williams, is a starting level player. Is he Matt Milano? Probably not. But can he be a starting level player? I think that's realistic. And that's why I think that the Bills best move to Luca's point. You don't need to panic. The trade deadline is not tomorrow. Give him some runway. See what he has. Let's see what he has with a full week prepping with the starters. We've already seen Terrell Bernard exceed expectations. That looks like a very good pick that we all questioned last year. The Bills clearly liked Dorian Williams enough to take him in the third round, despite the fact that they had Matt Milano on their roster. So let's see what this kid can do. That's where I don't think that the Bills right now, Luca, are in a position where they need to make a move. If they get another injury at cornerback or another injury at linebacker or if another defensive lineman goes down, I'm open to it. But right now, they might be out of mulligans, but I I think they're at least okay. Yeah, I think the point to be had here when it comes to replacements or how you handle these injuries moving forward is in-house, you have answers for the time being. So it's like... Brandon Bean should be probably evaluating things, talking to his pro scouting staff, whatever it might be, and kind of just testing the waters on what is available, both on the street, via the trade market, whatever it is. But you're not doing this to like do this with urgency. You're not doing this to have to make a move. You're doing it to now start to figure out Is there something that can be done there? Is there something that maybe we need to consider and have on hold for down the line? Is something too good to be true that's out there? Anything like that. And you have individuals that can hopefully do jobs that are worthy of starting or worthy of being on the roster moving forward from here on out so that those moves can become just kind of bolstering that depth back up and then you kind of figure it out from there once the trade deadline is passed and what so on and so forth. So I think the conversation to be had is not a panic move. It's not bringing in fresh faces here. Like the funny name that was brought up in my living room was like, hey, does Christian Kirksey want to unretire and come back? I'm like, well, it would be funny, but at the same time, he's a Mike. He's not a weak. I mean, that's just not his role. And, you know, Milano, as important as he is, he is a 
he's a will he's not a mike so it's like it, it's it's one of those things where it's it's just funny because naturally that i can understand why people's heads would go to something like that but overall i don't see a move like that necessarily happening maybe it does it's not like i'm in the front office here neither are you josh but we will have to see but you would make even that's an example that i even kind of want to bring up because it's like that's something that maybe brandon bean calls him is just like hey what are your thoughts on this? Not because you need them to play next week. It's just, what can we do to bolster our depth back up in case more injuries stack up? Because now that depth that you already had as insurance in place is needing to play meaningful minutes and meaningful games. And that's where now it's like, okay, as you're saying, if injuries continue to stack in a fashion like they are, if then unfortunately Dorian Williams, who, man, I liked him as a raw athlete and kind of as a, a flying battering ram out there. We're going to see if that's actually what happens here. Um, we're going to learn a lot about him. If something, God forbid, were to happen to him, then, of course, you need to really start figuring things out. And hopefully you start that legwork now while you still have that kind of room to breathe rather than kind of be proactive, not reactive. It's that whole kind of concept there. It's, you do not want to do something in reaction to desperation you want to be proactive so that you are never at a point of desperation later on down the road. And I do believe that's kind of the path that the bills always generally take. They're not trying to get themselves into kind of deep water and deep bleep. So um, it's, it will be interesting to see what happens, but overall I, I believe that is where kind of the right path is when it comes to filling these roles and figuring out what you need to do with these massive injuries you now have deal to deal with moving forward. One good thing did happen today. Von Miller returned. He was on a very limited snap count. And I think it was nice to see that the bills, despite losing players left and right, really stuck to that snap count strictly. I think that showed a lot of discipline on the bills part. There was a third down sequence late in the game AJ Epinesa is on the sideline grabbing oxygen. Leonard Floyd is nursing an injury. And the Bills, needing to get Jacksonville off the field to essentially have a shot to win the game, were rushing at edge. Kendall Vickers and why am I blinking? Oh, um, Kingsley Jonathan. <laughs> why, why am I blinking on Kendall Vickers and Kingsley Jonathan, Luke? I can't imagine why I'm blinking on them. Um, and I think that tells you everything you need to know about, one, how this day went where you're relying on Kendall Vickers and Kingsley Jonathan to get the quarterback to the ground. And two, that tells you the long view that the Bills have with Von Miller. Um, I want to applaud the Bills for that. I know there were probably fans thinking, hey, we have maybe the greatest pass rusher of this generation, like over on the sideline, and we have Kendall Vickers, who's a defensive, defensive tackle. Can we maybe get Von Miller in the game? Luca, you brought up a great point before we went on the air, and I want to get a little bit back into these injuries, but this is a good time to mention it. Um, I, I think that was a win for this coaching staff, leaving Vaughn on the sideline. Yeah, it's it's always keeping the end goal in, in mind and stuff like that. It's Look, it's health over snaps. Always, always, always. That's the point that I know you're probably trying to have me do, and it's like I had to say it in the living room because people were even kind of like, well, why is he even active? It's like you you wanted him to be active to see where his level was at in gameplay, and of course, the Russo injury most likely made them feel like, well, let's see what we have in this, and then we'll deal with it moving forward, but we're going to be very hard on his snap count so that we don't stress anything out or push anything too far when it comes to him dealing with the the current state of his knee and yeah what you said i share the exact sentiments with 
at those key moments, it was the entire second half. You know, they even pointed it out in the broadcast at one point. He was standing on the sideline in pads, but a baseball hat on. It's like there was a clear understanding of what they wanted to do with him. And the game situation did not dictate them or make them kind of deter off of that and do something else that maybe could have cost them in the long run just because they were worried about what's going on here. Health over snaps always. You make sure you stick to your plan because there's a reason you did that in the first place and you know it's most likely an educated decision on how you want to go about it moving forward in the best interest of both the player and his health as well as what your team is currently looking forward to. So props to them when there's not a lot of things to give props to on a day like today. That is definitely one little kind of win if you want to even put that word attached to it for the actual unit and the coaching staff on today's game. I'm with you. And just to circle back to the injury conversation, we both seem to agree the bills do not need to make a move yet. They have a couple of pretty winnable games coming up. The Patriots after the giants next week, the bills are already two touchdown favorites over the giants. Daniel Jones went down late in that game um, with a neck injury Quite honestly, there could be a conversation of is that actually uh, from not from a neck injury standpoint, not making light of that at all. I hope it's not taken that way. Um, but from a competitive standpoint, would Tyrod Taylor even be a downgrade at this point in time? And that argument could be made. Um, but 14 point favorite at home. Then they play the Patriots, who just look dead in the water at this point before coming home and playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. These are three games that the Bills honestly should go three and oh in. And, uh, you know, if you're going to be sorting through some injuries, maybe this is an ideal time to be doing that. So, Luca, let's talk about what happened on the field today. Uh, the Bills, we mentioned, uh, they lost a couple defensive starters throughout the game. They were down five defensive starters in total. At one point, they were down six. Taron Johnson goes down. A cart comes out. My heart is in my chest. Or in my chest. My heart's in my chest, people. My heart's in my throat. And um, luckily, Taron Johnson was able to shake it off and get back on the field because that would have been just devastating on top of extra devastating injuries. And the defense I thought had themselves a whale of a day. We talk about depth needing to step up, look no further than AJ Epinesa who had two sacks, a forced fumble, a, a batted ball. He did everything you would want out of a player that's playing for a Von Miller on a snap count, a Gregory Rousseau who's out of the game, a Shaq Lawson who's out of the game, a laboring Leonard Floyd, and that's what the Bills are going to need now, spinning it forward out of guys like Dorian Williams, continued a progress out of Terrell Bernard. Hopefully some ascension left still in Dane Jackson, and we can get that going. But my thought on this game, Luca, is, boy, the offense let the Bills down today. Everything the defense had working against it, the adversity of losing players, um, the fact that this defense was down some guys early anyway, the fact that the Jaguars have a good offense, this defense, midway through the third quarter, had held the Jaguars to 11 points, and the Bills were still trailing. I know the final score says 25 to 20. The Bills had seven points with four minutes to go in this football game. And to me, we're not going to talk about jet lag right now. We can talk about that maybe later if we want to. We don't. We, there's no way for us to be able to actually quantify how much that was a factor. But what I can tell you is, on a day where the defense needed the offense to pull them out of a fire because they were in the fire, the defense stood in there swinging and the offense couldn't get out of their own way. Yeah, it's it was funny. So during the game and during everything going on, 
I, I sat there kind of watching it as how you just described it so perfectly. That's where my brain was at as well, where the defense is holding its own. They're only sitting at 11 points. And yet I'm wondering how in the world we're sitting here where we're only at seven, you know, especially where you find it hard early. Maybe there's things you're seeing on defense that you weren't expecting stuff of that nature. You finally you know, breakthrough, you have an 11 drive, 86 yard, uh, 11 play 86 yard drive that ends in a touchdown, uh, late in the first half. And it feels like you should be in a good spot props to the Jags. At this point, the defense was finding themselves in a tough spot and the Jags proceeded to have a total of 24 plays in the third quarter alone. They had a 17 play drive, um, that occurred and whatnot. Where so the Bills essentially had two four play drives that ended in punts. So it's like it's it's not good. Also, just will say this since we're talking about the offense here, I saw a crazy stat, Josh. The Jags are now on a streak right now that is pretty under the radar but impressive. Where every game so far, the opening uh drive of the opposition's offense has led to a three and out, and that's. Mm-hmm. That's just props. That's props to understanding the team you're playing and knowing how to kind of start on the front foot and and making sure you're putting your team in a position to succeed early. So I'll give that props to them. But the Bills offense should be absolutely capable of figuring things out finally and adjusting. We've seen them do that the past few weeks. They've had a very historic set of games the past few weeks. And all of a sudden, it was just like things were not working out. You mentioned the one point early on in the episode. They weren't even running an offense of which we saw in the past few weeks. It was a lot more going back to the shotgun, things that we actually kind of saw on the opening night against the Jets as well. It's almost like they wanted to be like, okay, this is the week where we can try to try to figure that part of the playbook back out. And we're going to get back on the right track with that offense and it didn't work again. So clearly something's going on where that just does not work out for this team. And maybe just another punch in the mouth like today is what they need to realize. Just stick with the thing that makes you great so that you don't put your defense in a, in a situation where they have to just keep holding on to such a slim, slim deficit so that you can stay in this game because if a defense down Milano, your all pro linebacker and down Daquan Jones, your best interior defensive lineman for a majority of that stretch is holding them to 11 points. Josh Allen in an offense should absolutely have more than one score on the scoreboard, no matter who you're playing in my mind, that that's just unacceptable. And it's not just due to the fault of one individual, but as you said, and you keep saying, it's just one of those things that I, I just, you need to expect better from them. And hopefully they are better because this was just a flat out, not good enough performance for the offense, considering everything that the defense went through and actually did on the field for those 60 minutes. There were a lot of hands in the cookie jar of blame for this game as George Kittle has his third touchdown of the day. (laughs) Josh Allen finishes the day with 359, two touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. And that looks great from a fantasy perspective, but um, he had some misses. There was the big play to digs that got the bills out of the Jags um, end zone. And the beginning of the second half, where if he just puts a little more air under that ball, digs probably scores. There was the ball late in the fourth quarter where digs looks like he's losing a one-on-one battle to the Jags cornerback. And really if Allen just puts more air under that digs probably scores uh, Gabe Davis 
this this was like the the ultimate in frustration of Gabe Davis because however you want to tell the story on Gabe Davis, you can do it after this game. Do you want to say he's a high-end number two? You can do that because he had six catches for 100 yards and a touchdown, and boy, oh boy, was his touchdown great, and he should have had a touchdown on the play before if not for a ticky-tack pass interference call. And then on the Bills' last touchdown drive, Gabe Davis with a remarkable toe-tap catch to get the Bills down within striking distance. But what we saw to Gabe Davis today was, again, the clapping of the hands, that a drop on second down where the Bills had momentum, had a chance to go take the lead, the drive stalled out, and on a day where your offense is not in sync, you just can't let, miss the layups. And Gabe Davis too often misses the layups. Um, other frustrations I have, the three primary ball carriers on this team, James Cook, Damian Harris, and Latavius Murray, combined for 15 rushing yards on 10 carries. Uh, James Cook, five carries for negative four yards. So credit to the Jaguars, whatever they had going defensively. Dalton Kincaid, another frustration of mine. The Bills right now are using the first round weapon that they traded up for as basically a dink and dunk weapon on offense. Two catches for 19 yards. Everything is short. I saw Khalil Shakir on the field way too much for my liking. Luca, I've thrown a lot at you about the frustration with this offense. Um, I know at some point maybe we can have a jet lag conversation, but is there one particular sticking point about about the laundry list of issues with this offense that really is bothering you right now? It just doesn't seem like whoever's making the decisions, which you would assume is more Dorsey and whatnot, and I'm not trying to blame Dorsey individually here, but it just doesn't seem like there's a an understanding of truly how to put a lot of players in places to succeed. And then, unfortunately, I, I do find it funny you bring up the Gabe Davis thing. This is truly one of those situations where it's like I even mentioned it to you off air where we will, you know, when we were talking about a little bit about our game balls, game checks, a segment we love to do every week, of course, where I was like, man, I would kind of like to still at least give a game ball to someone like Gabe Davis who came up with a big touchdown in his own right. But then there's that one drop that just absolutely stands out in my mind like what I thought we were done with this. I thought we were cool. Like I thought everything was fine. And then you just saw that. And it was just like a, it was like a, a, you know, PTSD flashback to last season, essentially in its entirety outside of the Steelers game. So it, it's one of those things where it's like, there's just a lot of inconsistencies going on. And then to pile on top of it, your point about Kincaid, or for instance, the two point conversion try that you're trying or the two point attempt that you're doing, you, you get kind of the look you want, and you have Shakir out there and it's just like he's stuck in mud and he's toe tapping his way to getting tackled nowhere close to the end zone to get those two points. And it's like, maybe that should be something. If you're trying to get a one-on-one -on -one look, maybe Deontay Hardy should be that guy. Like I thought that's kind of what you tried to do with Deontay Hardy. You want him in open space. He's shifty. He's slippery. Things of that nature. Like I, I it's just one of those things where I do question if they truly understand how to utilize not your Stefan Diggs, not your Gabe Davis's even how to use Deontay Hardy, how to use Trent Sherfield, how to use Khalil Shakir, how to use Dalton Kincaid, all of these individuals. It just feels like they're not being utilized correctly and they're not being put in positions to succeed at their maximum potential. And when you have someone like a Josh Allen and then a, a absolute shadow of a weapon that is Stefan Diggs out wide, you would think that those opportunities will absolutely be there for them. And then you can absolutely do anything you possibly want. 
to put them in whatever it is that they can see succeed at best. And it, we're just not seeing it yet. And that's just beyond frustrating, just beyond frustrating. And, and it's the, the, the point of this offense and, and where the success was coming from. And you could hear the accolades as well was this is going back to kind of something I said in my previous point, but it just kind of fits here as well in this conversation. It's like we were being lauded for, how well we were running the ball outside of Josh Allen. We were no longer Josh Allen dependent and we were getting a lot of contributions from elsewhere. And, and obviously this clearly comes down to a, you know, package situation, you know, coming, coming out of the gun instead of out of under center, whatever it might be this game, your leading rushers, Josh Allen, four carries for 14 yards, Damien Harris, three carries for 13 yards, James cook, non-existent five carries for negative four yards. Like I'm, I'm not thinking that, the, I, I'm not trying to disrespect the Jags in this sense. Maybe they are the greatest rush defense of all time. I don't believe that's the case. So how is that the success you had on the ground, which just kind of complicates things, especially when that was a key component of what we saw in the previous few weeks that led to a very high-end offense we saw for those weeks and just completely put teams away in proper fashion with high-end guys. So they don't understand what they have in their hands. Potentially they're not putting guys in positions to succeed. You're seeing kind of little things come out overall. It's just, there's dysfunction occurring still in this offense. And maybe they truly aren't that well-oiled machine. We, we thought they were after last week against Miami. So we have to talk about it. This game was just so different in the last three weeks. And really, you mentioned it last week against Miami was the quality win. The Bills don't get a whole lot of credit nationally, or really even on this show for smashing the Raiders and the Commanders. But last week's win against Miami got the attention of everybody. 48 to 20, shutting down the Dolphins, but also scoring 48 points and really could have broke 50 if they hadn't brought in the backups. So given the fact that it looked so much worse today, everything was out of sync from a game plan perspective, from an execution perspective from guys missing throws like Josh Allen, guys dropping passes like Knox and Davis. How much do you think the jet lag played into it? And I know it's a guess. I, I know it sounds like an excuse. And maybe I don't want to ask it that way. In fact, I don't. How much are you willing to listen to the jet lag conversation at this point, Luke? It's going to be a topic of conversation for those who don't know. And if you don't know, that's okay. The Jaguars were there. For two weeks, they played the Falcons there last week, stayed in London this week. The Bills made a unique strategy. It's a little bit new age way of thinking with some sports science. They went out on Thursday night, Friday morning, basically sacrificing sleep on Friday, got off the plane, went right to practice. And the idea was you would catch up on sleep on Friday night. Your body clock would not realize it's jet lag because you left at night. You get there in the morning and it shouldn't be that shock to your system. Uh, the Bills looked flat today. I think Stokes said it best on uh, Friday night with you and then Wednesday night with me. The ends can justify the means in this scenario. If the Bills look flat, we're going to blame it on the jet lag. If the Bills look sharp, we'll say the sports science team came through for them. They looked flat. Are you willing to blame any of it on the jet lag? Minimally. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this, although I'm gonna put a big old asterisk on this because I get to do a little uh critical experiment of my own and see how big this jet lag is in a couple of weeks there, Josh, I will tell you in about on our, if I'm on the live show that week or on our podcast a little bit afterwards, if jet lag is truly the beast that it is. And if it is, 
then I'll maybe redact my statement a little bit and say it does play a bit of more of a factor. I will tell you then I'm not a high end athlete here. I'm not trying to play an NFL game. I'm just trying to enjoy a honeymoon and a vacation over in the UK myself at that point in time. But jet lag is jet lag. I think any human being would just suffer from that because all you need to do is be a living human and deal with time change and lifestyle change. So I think there's something in it. What I will say is this conversation is interesting because um, one of the shows I like watching every week is the pro football show, uh, the pro football football show that uh, Barstool puts out, um, especially this year, because what they do is now they have uh, Will Compton on as a regular. And then it seems like ex NFL players are coming onto the the booth as well with uh, Big Cat as well. So this week it was Delaney Walker and they both had both Will Compton and Delaney Walker had played over in London. And the comments they made about playing over in London were not necessarily about jet lag as much as it was just things that were what I'll call lifestyle change. For instance, the big thing that they made a massive point about was breakfast being awful and it's, you know, stuff like that. And I think things of that nature, when you're getting them thrown at you abruptly in a very short period of time, whereas if you're the Jags, you kind of just become accustomed to it, especially throughout the week and you're willing to accept it a little bit more because you're over there for a period of time that isn't 72 hours, maybe something of that nature where you're just having this kind of culture shock, we'll call it, and lifestyle change in a short period of time that just has you off than your normal game day feel. And I'll give them that. But I don't want to hear the conversation all week. I think the conversation should be dead as of Tuesday morning when it comes to jet lag and everything like that. Once the team is stateside, and I think, by the way, that's where the value in maybe more so of what this sports science is all about is not necessarily about playing the game in London. It's actually about then coming back and just in a one week span, having to get back to that normal routine and then playing your game as we are going to be playing on Sunday night and being an okay position and feel okay. At that point in time, we saw it with Atlanta, Josh, who did something similar to us comes right back, plays a home game in Atlanta and pulls out the win. Um, in their game against the Texans team that was playing pretty hot in their own right. And the Atlanta, it wasn't exactly trending upwards and they actually dealt with a unfortunate loss against the Jags themselves. So it will be interesting. And I feel like I can't make a judgment overall on it until after next week, when truly you will see what happened to the bills in a Sunday night against uh, a spiraling downward giants team who might see a return of Tyrod that maybe bills are fans are going to be a little bit more welcome to than uh, uh, Daniel Jones. Cause at least it'll make it more entertaining on the other side of the ball. But overall, I think it's not a conversation to be had too, too much. It should be dead by Tuesday. We can re entertain the conversation or expand on it next week. And then I will give you a decisive answer on this, Josh. Mm-hmm in a couple weeks when I have to deal with something like that myself. And maybe I'll give a little bit more respect at that point. If I find myself dragging butt a little bit over there. (laughs) I think this is one of those moments where do whatever you want. If you want to be a fan that chooses to focus on the jet lag, have at it. I, I think there's enough reason for you to be mad about that, that you, you can have your way with that. If you want to be a fan that gets upset about the refs, that is not generally the place I like to live because even though referee calls can be infuriating, it is such a dead end conversation where you wind up just so frustrated and talking yourself into, well, if the refs hadn't done this, there's no fix for that. There's no, can we make a trade for a different ref or can we bench this ref like that? That just is a, a cycle of almost excuses. And then you, you find yourself in this, 
um, conspiracy theory of does the league have it out for the Bills? Of course not. And, and you know, those conversations just tend to be noise to me. Um, I, I just like to focus on things I know, and I can't quantify how impactful the jet lag is. I'm sure it had some impact on the game and talking about 53 players on the bills that not all human bodies are the same. They're overseas. I'm sure there was some impact there. And you know what, from a Jacksonville standpoint, these guys have been away from their home for two weeks. There's probably some impact there too. So who knows how much it quantified. All we know is the bills lost a game today and I can look at the stats. I can watch the game and say the offense did not do their part. Let's talk quickly about the defense, Luca, because I thought the defense held really strong. Uh, you know, they were down some guys. I thought Sean McDermott called a, a really good game. Uh, the one name that I think people are going to bring up is Kyir Elam. I guess we can have that conversation here because it's been a popular comment of why is he inactive? And we've been telling people it's because teams only dress so many boundary cornerbacks. He doesn't really contribute on special teams. Kyrie Elam got his chance to get into the lineup today. Luca, the bills needed him. The defense overall played well, but I, I think if there was one player on the defense that you would single out as a guy that didn't play well, it might be their first round pick from last year. Uh, yeah. Kyrie Elam was unfortunately an individual in today's game that there was a clear understanding of who Trevor Lawrence needed to be looking for on the opposite side of the ball at key moments. And then it seemed like, I, I know everyone's probably like, can we stop putting Kyrie Elam on Ridley? Because it seems like they want to go to Ridley at this point. I don't think that was what it was. It's not them wanting to go at Ridley. We just so happen to have Kyrie Elam lined up against Ridley on all of those occasions. And he was just not able to handle the excellent footwork and route running abilities and everything like that. That, I mean, that's what Ridley is. Like he is that kind of guy that can get you a little bit off your game and Elam is just not it right now. Like it's it just not working out. And it just the performance we saw today just in the end really justified why he's been a game day scratch. Because if you don't bring versatility, as we've talked about in the weeks past, Josh, if you don't bring that versatility on game day, you need to be extraordinary. Essentially, you need to be start worthy at what your primary position is to be rosterable. And Kyer Elam was not above the likes of what was Dane Jackson, Christian Benford, and of course, when healthy, Trey White. So you're not making this guy healthy. Well, now that Trey White's gone, and now that especially Christian Benford's gone, you have to play. And, and it's like, this is your moment to step up if there was ever one to kind of get back in the mix. And he just showed that he still lacks kind of the ability to keep up with the NFL speed, keep up to what, you know, what is needed of him in this system at that position. And he was the guy that Doug Peterson on the other side of the field was highlighting to Trevor Lawrence and essentially just told him, Hey, just key in on this, just key in on this. You need a ball. You need it to be caught. That's the guy you're looking for. Look for 24 on the other side. He will probably be there for you in, you know, a play or two or what, or a, not a player two, a second or two, you know, it just give it a second. The play will develop. He will be open. And that was the case And every vital part of the game. It was always there for them. And it's just like, he's going to have to keep playing, but I, it's getting harder and harder to, to kind of accept that there's still time. It's like when you see this as the first glimpse, hopefully you know, it can improve from here, but it wasn't a good first look at a second year corner that you drafted in the first round just a year ago. That It was not a good performance at all out of him, but that shouldn't take away kind of the little bit of props we give to the defense as a unit overall 
in the entirety of 60 minutes just because one guy had a down day in Kyer Elam. Sean McDermott is historically very calculated with his words. He almost never throws a player under the bus. If a player obviously played poor, I mean, look no further than the Josh Allen game against the Jets. Sean McDermott said he has to play better, but we all have to do better. There's 11 people out there. Like he protects his players, not just Josh Allen. There's examples of this across the board. Two things happened today that let me know everything I need to know about how Sean McDermott feels about Kyer Elam. One, Kyer Elam got benched today, and it's not like the Bills had a great option out there. He got benched in the fourth quarter for practice squad cornerback Jamarcus Ingram. And Ryan Talbot from New York Upstate asked Sean McDermott in the press conference, was this an injury-related benching? And Sean McDermott said, nope, this was a matchup-related um, benching. And look, he didn't say nope. It wasn't like a clapback. But he he said it in a way that was very clear, like this was a matchup-related injury. And then one cool thing about the London series is you get reporters from London who maybe aren't as familiar with football or the Bills asking questions. And that's kind of neat for these press conferences. And there was a, 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 a British reporter that asked Sean McDermott about Kyer Elam, how he's been inactive the last few weeks. And does maybe his lack of playing time the last few weeks, did that impact him today? Maybe he wasn't ready to play. And Sean McDermott, who historically will always make his players look good to the media and could have said something along the lines of, yeah, maybe he was knocking some rust off out there, said, there's no excuses. Players in this game have played before after not playing the week before you are a professional, you have to do your job and we need players to come through. He didn't single out Kyer Elam. The question was clearly about Kyer Elam, but that tells me Kyer Elam is clearly not in his good graces. If you didn't trust the depth chart, trust Sean McDermott's words. Um, I think Kyer Elam is going the wrong way. And I believe now maybe much more than I even believed in the summer that Kyer Elam could be traded off of this roster sooner rather than later. And I know it's crazy because they have a lot of injuries now and trading away players is not something they want to do, but I could definitely see a situation if not in season where by next off season, we're talking about a boogie bash and level trade for Kyer Elam, which would be very, very disappointing. Luca, I want to get into a big picture conversation with you about these bills. Is it panic time? Is it time? Can they still accomplish the ultimate goal despite the fact that they've lost Tredavious White and what looks like Matt Milano and Daquan Jones? But before we do that, let's put a bow on this Jaguars game with our favorite segment of the week. Unfortunately, it won't be as fun this week because we have to do so with a loss. It is our game balls and game checks segment. For those unfamiliar, game ball is the MVP. They get our game ball for the week. Game check is the direct opposite. It's a player that really didn't even need to show up and they should be forced to hand in their game check for their performance against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Luca, I will go first on this one because I did kind of call my shot on this. Uh, AJ Epinesa uh, mentioned earlier on Twitter as I'm trying to pull up the box score to make sure I have it all right. I mentioned on Twitter earlier this week that with the injuries trending with Shaq Lawson and Greg Rousseau out, Von Miller laboring, um, AJ Epinesa was going to get a chance to step up against this Jacksonville offensive line that was getting back um, Cam Robinson, but this was a chance for AJ Epinesa to really leave his mark in a contract year. And boy, did he, he had two sacks on the day. One of those was a forced fumble that he recovered also batted a ball down. That should have been a turnover or it should have led to a punt, but there was that bad call on Jordan Poyer. AJ Epinesa stood out for me today on defense on a day where the bills had defensive players dropping like flies. 
they needed somebody to step up and AJ Epinesa was at the front of the line. Yeah. It, it props to you for a nice, beautiful tweet, even pregame to kind of, I'll, I'll, I'll say sniff that one out, you know, give you a little bit of uh, props to yourself. My game ball goes to you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, right, take so <laughs> yeah, uh, it shouldn't be surprising to anyone based on the conversation we've been having here um, that my game ball will not be on the offensive side of the ball. Although there were still at least decent performers that showed up today and did what they could for this team on the day of, um, especially late when things are kind of looking bleak um, individuals did step up, but my game ball after some deliberation, we talked about it a little bit, but I still wasn't hundred percent until we got to this segment right now is actually going to go to Ed Oliver. And it's for a couple reasons here. I, I think in the game itself, he still was impactful. He was very, very relevant and things like that. But that alone is not only the reason he's getting my game ball. We've seen in the past with Ed Oliver that when a Daquan Jones goes down, when his trusted partner that can actually swallow up a lot next to him is no longer there, that's then when he starts to disappear. That's when the impact of him is no longer really felt anymore. And even with Daquan Jones leaving and then them, as we've talked about, you know, kind of scrapping together one technique between Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, and then also even Tim Settle at times, it's like, he was still involved. He was still making his presence known as much as he possibly could. And it was noteworthy. It was noticeable on the actual feed. You could see the impact that was at Oliver. And, and it impressed me. And as, as individuals such as yourself and myself, we're going into the season. We were a little bit of an Eddie O hater um, podcast. We'll call it as a whole. He's, he's continuing to win me over even, even in a negative game such as this. So I think in that regard as well, he absolutely deserves a game ball out of this. It's a great call. He has four sacks on the season. He has been noticeable in all four, all five games this season, excuse me. And you mentioned it. Daquan Jones going out was not an excuse. The Bills did a really good job. Now, I know ETN broke a couple ones late, and that is going to skew the numbers. He ended up having a very nice day from a fantasy perspective, 26 for 136. He had a long of 35, but... Throughout the duration of the game before the dam actually broke on this defense, they were doing a good job bottling up the run without Matt Milano, without Daquan Jones. And I think Ed Oliver was a big piece of that. So I like that game ball. A couple other names that I would throw out there. Uh, I thought Dane Jackson really held his own um, in a position where the Bills were without their two starting cornerbacks. I thought Dane Jackson didn't really have any plays where I noticed him being out of position. Maybe it's because the... <laughs> The Jaguars were doing what Lucas said and just targeting Kyer Elam. That would make sense. Um, I want to give credit to Tyrell Dodson. Uh, he's been a whipping boy on this show. He came in in the second half in the Matt Milano spot for Dorian Williams. I'm not really sure what went into that, but I thought Tyrell Dodson had himself a pretty good game. Um, made a couple plays in coverage. And, and overall, you know, it's not an easy spot to come into. You're, you're not game planning for this game. And, you know, you could say, I want to watch the starters play. I want a game plan. But if you're not expecting to play, I thought he played very well. I don't really have anybody on offense, maybe digs. But, you know, at this point, I don't really want to give the offense too many roses for how they played this game. All right, Luca, I went first with the game ball. Let you go first with the game check. Who is your game check award winner or loser? However you want to phrase it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a few candidates here. <laughs> just a few um it's one of those games where look 
Gabe Davis has a drop that really I brought up. It's kind of highlighted in my brain. It's like a PTSD moment, but it would be absolutely cruel of me to give an individual who still had six catches for a hundred yards and a touchdown on the day and on only eight targets. So if you really think about it, that one drop might've been one of his two blemishes on the day when he still had a successful day, things of that nature. And we talked off air how I, I, the individual I may have given it to, and I, I might want to even say his name. I'm not sure if that's where you're going to go, but I will say I'm very, very tempted to give it to Khalil Shakir. Um, he's just becoming more and more disappointing to me. Um, and in his one moment of which on a two point try where he has the kind of the opportunity in open space one-on-one, he just looks stuck in mud, but I'm actually going to, it's not hate necessarily on him when it comes to where I think some fans go to, but this was an off day for Ken Dorsey. And I just cannot look past the fact that you had a historic level offense and just was the, you were doing things historically well on the offensive side of the ball for the team that put us in a position where we won games by certain margins and were so efficient and everything like that for the past few weeks to then come into this game and do things completely differently at the core of it when it comes to what you're calling in what formations, personnel, stuff of that nature, it's head scratching, man. It's, there's not a lot of soccer fans out there. I don't believe that listen to this and stuff like that. If you do props to you, but if you understand this reference and and if props, I'll explain this to Josh in a second, it was a classic old school Pep Guardiola in a semifinals of a champions league game move where you have this world beater of a team that's doing incredible things. And in the biggest moment at that point in time, you just change everything entirely and do questionable things that anyone sitting there watching. It just goes, what are you doing? That's what was happening in my mind with Dorsey. It's like you have such a successful offense that's been humming the last few weeks, and it just was completely thrown awry. And you're like, let's go back to the gun and have some fun with this. And it's like the last time we saw that, it wasn't successful. The last time we saw it before then, it wasn't very successful. And you did have this thing that was successful. Why are you changing this all of a sudden at this moment in time? It's just head scratching to me. So, yeah, Ken Dorsey gets my game check. I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm sorry if I made a face if you're watching on YouTube, which, by the way, thank you. I'm still watching this Niners-Cowboys game, and the fact that the Niners are now creating weapons out of nowhere. Jordan (laughs) Mason just scored a touchdown, and boy, did he look explosive doing that. Um, They are an annoying embarrassment of riches on offense. But Ken Dorsey makes a lot of sense for this because I'm with you. I was thinking, you know, Khalil Shakir, there was the play on the two-point conversion where it felt like his effort was very questionable. Um, but I don't feel like giving it to the backup wide receiver really quantifies my frustration with the offense today. Um, I thought about K- Dalton Kincaid, but I don't know if this is a Dalton Kincaid effectiveness or if it's more of this would be kind of passing the buck from Ken Dorsey. Is this a Dalton Kincaid usage? And maybe that's redundant with your Ken Dorsey thing. I get the feeling it's more of his usage. Um, I, honestly, I think Josh Allen deserves a, a, a seat at this table. I don't think he had his best game. Um, he underthrew Diggs a couple times. And, um, you know, Gabe Davis, you mentioned it's hard to give it to him when he has a couple of really nice catches, but then that one drop looms large. I'm going to give it to James Cook. James Cook had negative four yards on five carries. And, but what I think about when I think about James Cook in this game, you mentioned the stat earlier the Jaguars, all five games this season, 
have started a game with a three and out on defense. The Bills had gotten the ball back first and second down. I don't remember what happened. <laughs> Third down, James Cook is open in the flat. Josh Allen puts it on his hands. If he catches it, it's a turn and run for an easy first down, and he drops it. And that was the first mistake of what felt like a laundry list of mistakes. Who knows what happens if he catches that ball? It's entirely likely the Bills then punt the ball four plays later. But they had a chance to move the chains, settle in, not feel like they're playing from behind the sticks. He made the first mistake. I am a believer in momentum, and that was just a really, really disappointing way to start the day. And for a guy that's been so reliable this season to have negative four yards rushing, to drop a chain moving pass like that out of the backfield, it just, it really felt like this was not his best effort, obviously. And for that, James Cook is going to get my game check. All right, Luca. I want to ask one more question before we get out of here tonight. I think we're going to kind of skip around the league. We, we figure, uh, you know, the way Bills fans are after losses, particularly painful ones, we we don't get the impression they want to hear us talk for 30 minutes about what happened on the out-of-town scoreboard today. So I think where a lot of people's heads are at is, okay, the Bills are three and two. They lost a football game. I get that. They lost some important players. I get that. But was this a season changing day for the Bills? And what I mean by that is, is this team, if we assume Matt Milano and we assume Daquan Jones are not coming back for the sake of this conversation, let's assume they aren't. And we know Tredavious White's not coming back. Is this team as it stands right now with no move coming in that's impactful? Like I think AJ Klein or Christian Kirksey off the couch would not qualify as a impactful move. Are they still capable, Luca, of winning the entire Super Bowl? Yes, as long as you have Josh Allen, as long as you have Stefan Diggs, as long as you have the offense that you have. I, I think in the modern day NFL, you should absolutely be in that spot. I think the class of McDermott as a defensive coach should be able to come out a little bit and still hold his own or have the defense hold their own as a collective unit. You still have two leaders and very important players in Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, of course, up top at the safety positions. Hopefully Gregory Rousseau, who is not there today, is back. Hopefully Christian Benford, who is not there today, is back. Those individuals are impactful. Maybe there's something there potentially down the road that they can bring in. Who knows? That's not priority as we discussed early in the episode but overall i think the defensive side of stuff they are massively impactful injuries yes there are things as we discussed already in place to hopefully kind of patch over uh as best as you can to fill those holes and then move forward accordingly on the defensive side of the ball and luckily no one significant on the offensive side of the ball outside of a couple snaps missed due to an injury that Dawkins sustained at one point in time happened where you just get to next week. You get back to what successful fingers crossed and just get back to what we saw in weeks prior to this and not try to beat a horse when it's down and try to figure out this shotgun offense. Cause honestly, if Josh Allen's under center for the rest of the year after this, I will probably be very happy about it due to seeing the success rate that came with that comparative to the op other option that was just a primary gun offense because 
Whatever works, works, man. That's all we need to see. It's a result-based business and just get them however it is. It doesn't need to be pretty. It just needs to be a win in the stat sheet and on the scoreboard. And that's all that matters to get you to that final goal. And you have Josh Allen, you have Diggs, you have the guys to do it at a high level. So no, I, I don't believe this closes the window on the season. It definitely makes it a lot more interesting, but this is still far from the adversity they dealt with last year. This is still far from, you know, the, the sky is falling in that regard. So I don't believe this affects it too, too much beyond the obvious thing that you have some play level coming down naturally at different positions due to those high end guys being out for a long, if not entire season. So I think when you have a team as good as the bills, when you have a quarterback as good as Josh Allen, I think the mindset, especially somebody who's watched football my entire life, and I'm getting used to having a good team, uh, is the regular season, at this point, you have to assume your team's going to make the playoffs when your team is as good as the Bills. For these Bills to not make the playoffs, a catastrophe would have to happen. Much more, Dak Prescott threw another interception, much worse than um, what happened today with just losing Milano and Daquan Jones. We're talking Stefan Diggs, we're talking Josh Allen level catastrophes. And the Bills are going to make the playoffs. And we've watched enough football to know that to win the Super Bowl, it's about getting into the playoffs and what kind of form your team is in when they get there. And there's no better lesson than that than the last two seasons. Last year, the Bills made the playoffs. They were the number two seed in the AFC. They did not have to play a road game in the playoffs because had they advanced to the AFC championship game, that game would have been on a neutral field. But they were in such poor form due to injuries, due to fatigue from all the circumstances we went into all offseason. They had nothing left in the tank. And there were signs of that as the season wore on. And they were quickly bounced by the Bengals. Well, two years ago, the Bills were the three seed. And they were an 11-win football team. And there was a point in time late in that season where they were trailing New England in the AFC East standings. And they got hot late. And the form they were in in January looked like the form of a team that could go on and win a Super Bowl, if not for one of the biggest collapses in the fourth quarter of the history of the NFL. And I think that's the lesson we all have to take in is it is October 8th. None of us know anything at this point in time. A lot more devastating team changing injuries will happen between now and January. And you just hope that they don't land on your team. But. The, the long view, the form that the Bills are going to be in in January did take a hit today because chances are they will be without Matt Milano. They will be without Daquan Jones. But as long as this offense is intact, this team is going to be a tough out. And that is where my second big picture conversation is going to come for you, Luca, is through the first four weeks of the season, the Bills were viewed as the best defense in football. They'd put the blueprint out of the team to stop the Miami Dolphins. Now, Things have changed. They've lost Tredavious White. They've lost Matt Milano. They've lost Daquan Jones. This team, as it stands defensively, with Sean McDermott calling plays, if your edge rushers are everybody that we have in-house, Greg Rousseau is going to come back. Your defensive tackles are basically sub-out Daquan Jones for Puna Ford. Your linebacker situation is sub-out Matt Milano for Dorian Williams or Tyrell Dodson. And your cornerback situation is Dane Jackson instead of Tredavious White. If the defense was the best defense in the league before, how good can they be 
after? Are we still talking about a defense that can be a top 10 level defense? Because if we are, what are we talking about? You pair a top 10 level defense with one of the best offenses in the sport. Of course, that team's going to compete for a championship. Is this a defense that's going to become an Achilles heel and they can't stop anybody? So where do you think the range is of where this defense can still wind up with what they still have left? I think this defense overall, as long as those two, the two safeties to me are just absolutely vital and more so Micah Hyde, to be quite honest. Um, they're the most important engine because in, in all these years, we've seen that they're the most constant and, and it, to me, those are the two guys. And again, a little bit, I'll tip the, you know, 51 49 to Micah Hyde. Those are the Sean McDermott extensions on the field. Those, to me, are the true guys that understood it. I think Milano, of course, also played a very key role in his own right. And I think there's an extension from McDermott to him that might be lost there. But as long as you have your Micah Hyde and your Jordan Poyer, in my mind, and you have individuals that they believe can at least be serviceable in front of them with the rest of the places they need to be, and Gregory Rousseau can still get back to full health, hopefully. And then Von Miller's getting back to full health. I thought he looked decent for all things considered today on his limited snap count. There was there, there was a little bit of bend. It wasn't the crazy twitchy bend that Stokes said on the Friday show, but it was, <laughs> you know, there and whatnot. So I think overall with still those guys you have, and if Micah Hyde's still there and Jordan Poyer still there, I do believe this can still be, let's call it a top 12 defense, a top third league defense. Like, and that's, that's me just putting a floor on it. I think they can still play at a high level. They should absolutely be able to handle the upcoming stretch that they have to deal with when it comes to the giants, the Patriots, and then the Buccaneers. I, I believe when you get faced off against those teams, that's what you should be able to still handle with what they have on the defensive side of the ball where maybe you might see a little bit more of those cracks exposed are when you play your high-end offenses like the Dolphins again on the turn and so on and so forth, where you just kind of kind of keep things afloat on that side and maybe they take that step back than the high level we still saw them last week containing the Dolphins and taking care of business. So I think when it comes to a floor discussion and if they can still be a higher end defense, I'm not saying they can sit there and they'll confidently be a top five defense, but I think with certain individuals still there with Sean McDermott doing what he's doing, I can absolutely believe that this will still be a top third, a top 12 defense in the league. I'm with you. I think this defense still has the potential to be very, very good. Um, you know, it would help if Von Miller can get back to 80, 90% of what we saw last season if Christian Benford continues to take a step forward, if they can squeeze another high-end year out of Hyde and Poyer, so far so good, at least from the Micah Hyde standpoint. I, I like to see a little more out of Jordan Poyer, quite candidly. Um, and if Terrell Bernard can maintain his high level of play without his running mate in Matt Milano, we've already seen guys like Ed Oliver and AJ Epinesa and Greg Rousseau before he got hurt step up and play their best ball to date. So um, I think this defense still has a lot of key parts. If they can keep the guys that they have left healthy, um, it, it should be a very successful year. And I do think it's important to remember outside of Daquan Jones, this is still a very loaded defensive line. And when Von Miller is healthy and back to be able to rotate in Von Miller, Gregory Rousseau, AJ Epinesa and Leonard Floyd, that's going to be tough for any offense to handle. So I, I like that too. So <sighs> Luca, I want to vent about something really quick and I didn't <laughs> put this in our notes, but it just, 
I've been scrolling Twitter. I'm not going to call out any accounts. A lot of them are accounts that we're familiar with, and some of them are accounts we're friends with. So I'm certainly not going to call them out. That's not my goal here. Um, I see a lot of, boy, the, the London series is stupid. And the Bills are victims of the NFL's greed. And I'll tell you, I don't, I don't love the London series. I don't, I, I understand why they do it. I understand why they want to make the game more marketable over there. Um, but I feel like this is a reaction to the team that these people love having a bad experience. And I'll just say, uh, it reminds me a lot of the sun issue last year in Miami, where I feel like, honestly, Luca, there was a large segment of Bills fans that didn't realize the sun was an issue in Miami with how they built that stadium until week three last year. That was an issue. That was something they specifically built that stadium for. And if you just watch any Dolphins home game, if you can see it plain as day, and it wasn't until the Bills were victimized by it in a close game that people got up in arms about it. And I'm seeing accounts that we respect tagging the NFL and saying, what a money grab. And don't you care about your players? Yada, yada, yada. And I just, I just want to hit pause on that. Did you have that same energy last week when the Jaguars played the Falcons? Did you have that same energy last season when the Bills were not one of the teams that went over to London? Did you care last season when whatever team went over to London, I believe, I believe it was Jacksonville maybe lost to Denver in a, in a, in a really blowout game. Um, did you care about the jet lag then? So if you did more power to you, but is, is this just reactionary to seeing your team do bad and you want to have a victim because folks, the London series, it lands on everybody. It was just the Bills season to have it land on them. Does it stink that they lost a home game? Absolutely. But teams lose home games every year. It was just the Bills turn to lose the home game. Does it stink that they had a disadvantage, a perceived disadvantage from a jet lag standpoint? Of course it does. But there's going to be more teams in the future that have that disadvantage. We know Jacksonville is the primary team that plays over there. So until further notice, they have a little bit of an advantage over there. And I just feel like for all the stuff we saw today, all the things to complain about, to be focused on the fact that you don't like the London series and to act like somehow the Bills were victims of the NFL's greed, I just think people are off base. And unless you thought this before the game ever kicked off, I think it's just misplaced anger. Yeah, misplaced anger. Perfect. It's it's a punching bag just hanging there for you to take out your frustration on what you dealt with at such an emotional level. And one first things first, like it's the NFL through and through is two things. It's a business and it's entertainment. And that is always going to be the primary objectives of the NFL. That will be the primary objective of all major sport leagues and things like that. They, of course, play, they concern themselves with the, you know, putting players in positions to hopefully remain healthy and everything like that because it affects and not to be as lame, you know, as harsh as it, is, it might sound to some if you don't already have heard this before. You want to keep the product on the field as healthy as possible. Like, of course, they care about that exponentially. There's a reason you see all the ridiculous stuff that you see with quarterbacks. You see these flags, like you pointed out the roughing the passer call, by the way, the, the, uh, uh, what do they call it? Technically the personal foul prior on the linebacker that on the Jags linebacker prior to that, that continued that drive even forward, even worse than the Poyer one earlier on in the game on Ridley that I still thought was questionable as well. 
there's reasons those penalties exist though. They care about players. They care about player safety and things like that. And it, hopefully it just deters those moments from happening as much as they used to, because you want the product on the field to be good. It's misplaced to then blame the NFL for these London games and stuff like that. They've been doing these since going back to 2007. If you do not remember, they've been doing international games as a whole, the international series, technically didn't start until 2007, but they even had that Monday night game in Mexico between the Cardinals with Josh McCown playing the, the Niners before it was even an international series. This is a thing we've been doing all. And now Mexico is obviously a completely different animal than London. And then of course, Germany and stuff of that nature, but there's reasons that they do that. It, they're not the only league that does this. The NHL does this. The NBA does this. Everyone does this because it's just smart business it helps grow the game and the business and gets more fans involved. And they're just, it's going to be the reality of something that overall, I think it's a, it's a silly argument to be that this is hurting the players and things of that nature. It's not like it just not, there's not enough. I, I, I would love if anyone could approach us with something that clearly shows that playing in London is a massive kind of disadvantage to a player's health. And overall is, you know, dangerous for them to play in these games to the point of like you see college high athletes at high ends stepping out of bowl games because it's unnecessary games and wear and tear on their body for their overall business when it comes to getting drafted in the NFL. I don't think that kind of proof is there. This is something that always happens. You didn't hear about these complaints when you're at Wembley. Now, Wembley is a grass field. Tottenham is that turf field that we have. And then there, it opens up that can of worms of discussion. But hey, newsflash, and I'm sure everyone's aware of this. We have plenty of turf fields over here in the States that your lovely stadium is you know, furnished with that is a problem in its own right. So that's not a London problem. That's a plain surface problem. And there's a reason you see other sports like soccer that you have athletes and teams and leagues that refuse to play on those surfaces. I'm not sitting here trying to beat that drum, but overall the point you're bringing up here is perfect. It's a, it's a low hanging fruit speed bag hanging in your garage to get out your anger just because you're frustrated at what you had to deal with emotionally as a fan. And overall it's a silly thing to kind of say, it's weird to me. I, I don't think it's something that, I don't even find it healthy to be quite honest when it comes to your own mental health, because if you co constantly just try to find a place to put that anger in, that just is not right. And it, it almost fuels something negative in your body and in your energy. And so, and I do believe in that it's like, it almost creates a segment in your life that you feel is appropriate when it comes to and justified that this is the problem. And now I'm going to make sure everyone is with me and, and things of that nature. And it's just, it's all built on foundationless kind of stuff. That is your emotional reaction to something that occurred. And you mentioned the turf. If this game was in Buffalo, it would have been played on turf. <laughs> I saw that Boom. so much today. And I'm just like, <laughs> Highmark has turf people. I don't know if you didn't know that <laughs> or if you're just angry, but the whole, like the NFL doesn't care because they sent people over to London to play on turf. Maybe it was the fact that they have grass, but they pull the grass out because the NFL is coming in. Guys, soccer is so important over there. You have to understand they don't want these asshole football players tearing up their field. That's how yeah. they view it. So you have it, it, it's it's okay. Like soccer is the priority, just like football is our priority. Soccer is their priority. 
And, you know, the whole process can be a little bit questionable. It'd be nice if it was turf or if it was grass, but they're not going to risk the soccer playing surface if they can get around it. Anyway, how do you get that on my system, Luca? I was just a little upset about that. Um, <laughs> just in case anybody's wondering, the, the Cowboys are not going to beat the 49ers. It is an avalanche after Jerry Jones came out and said this is a good measuring stick game for us yeah. to see how good yeah, we are. It sure was. <laughs> it sure was. And uh, the Bills come back home next week, and they play the New York football Giants. Luca, you're going to that game, correct? I will be at that game. I'm very excited. I'll be there with my lovely wife and then also some friends that are in town because there's a wedding also going on that we're all going to be at this upcoming weekend. So uh, shout out, Joel. You know who you are. You know, you got uh, now six days until your wedding, bud. Uh, I know he's he's in it right now, Josh. You know, it's those pre you know week of <laughs> things yeah. going on. It's it is what it is. Our, our obviously mutual acquaintance Stokes also had to do his fair share of stuff. It's what we all go through. Um, things of that nature, but yeah, I will be at that game, of course. So, I mean, as you were going to bring up and I'll even say it might be a little delayed when it comes to our next bills chat podcast episode dropping, it'll still be coming out on Monday. It just won't be as early. We're going to record it Monday morning instead of making Lucas stay up till two in the morning after maybe having a couple adult beverages. And Hey, uh, Joel, I always appreciate your interaction on Twitter, but I will just tell you for the sake of your marriage, make sure you're not on sports Twitter on Sunday. If you just got married the night before, maybe your priorities should be, no, they'll, they'll be because they'll be at the game too. The okay. day after the wedding, they'll be at the Fair game enough. too. <laughs> okay. So. Well, Joel, if you tweet at us on Sunday, I will be telling you congratulations. Make sure you tag your wife. I will tell them congratulations as well. Always appreciate the interaction. All right. So next week's episode will be a little bit delayed, still coming out on Monday. Luke and I will be back after a couple of uh, interesting weeks. I had to take my daughter to SmackDown on Friday. So thanks again to Stokes for filling in. Luke and I will be back on Bill's Chat Live this Friday as we will ever so happily turn the page to a new game, the New York Giants. And guys, the Bills are a three and two football team. Maybe it felt like they should be four and one, but the reality is they're three and two. The good news is they have three very, very winnable games coming up before they do battle with the Cincinnati Bengals, who looked like they were getting back into form today. And uh, Luke and I'll be back all week on the Bills Chat YouTube channel to talk about what's coming up in that game. And Luke, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, it's one of those ones where I'm I'm excited to go to bed. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but overall, that sleep will hopefully kind of mend the uh, wounds that are still open from this game. We'll wake up refreshed. I know I have a busy workday tomorrow, Josh. I'm not looking forward to it. But at the same time, when it comes to fandom and emotions that are linked to that, a busy workday might be a good thing on the, the Columbus Day or Indigenous People's Day holiday that we have coming up tomorrow. If you're off. Lucky you. Congratulations. I am not. I still have work, but I'm actually kind of happy about it because it'll keep my mind occupied where I don't really think about this. And all I'll probably think be thinking about is just work at hand. And also, can Christian Watson score 42 points for me to win a fantasy matchup by some miracle? So we will have those things going on tomorrow, man. And if you're looking for Monday Night Football to cheer you up, what a terrible matchup. I mean, Jordan yeah. Love is is okay the packers are okay the raiders are atrocious uh, I, I just want to have a conversation with the folks that uh hand out the national tv games i feel like they could do a better job the fact that the giants are on every single week the fact that we've seen the bears multiple times let's get it together folks we are not going to stand in the way of luca hitting his head on the pillow any longer for luca i am josh mccarty we will see you next time on bill's chat mm -hmm.